Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, August 25th. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano is here. So is Mark Oswald and Derek Felsky as well. And I'm just going to get out of the way because this is a busy show. Did you bring the champagne? We got What What do we have to celebrate? Well, it's the longest bull market uh, that we have. So there's a new champ in town. You know, there's lots to be talked about when we talk about the length of the bull market and how we got here, Derek. But it's a number of years. This thing started, frankly, in 2009. And here we are. And if you look at it by number of days at a bull market has gone on. This is the longest. And if you have to explain that to our listeners, we haven't had a bear market. In other words, a down 20% in all of this time. What do we attribute that to? Well, the count is now 3,456 days from the bottom in, in March of 2009. And often on that show, we've talked about what the Federal Reserve did uh, in basically bailing the U.S. out of a financial crisis, uh, some of the other things that, that Washington did. And, and now we have fiscal stimulus on top of it. So it really should surprise no one that the stock market continues to be healthy, particularly given the magnitude of the tax cuts that were initiated at the beginning of this year. And they were fundamentals, you know, and this surpasses the October 1992 to the March of 2000 and run. But in that run, that 10-year run, the S&P 500 went up 417% compared to this bull market, which is only 323%. Only I say only 323%, but it has been a tepid recovery. It, it has been, and I think that's one of the reasons why it continues to move higher and that we haven't seen the excesses that typically lead to a very uh, you know, restrictive Federal Reserve. We haven't seen excesses in wage growth. We haven't seen excesses in inflation. And as long as long as, as you know, the economy continues to expand, I believe the stocks will continue to move higher until we get to either valuation levels that are, are difficult, a Fed mistake, or some sort of geopolitical event that is very difficult to forecast. You know, a lot of times, guys, they talk about the shape of a recovery, you know, and you look at V-shaped recoveries, and in other words, something that bounces off the bottom and goes up very quickly. And I think that's what you're describing here, Derek, is the shape of the recovery has been muted. It's been something that's gone on little by little, year after year after year, and it's supported by the fundamentals. And I think that's really what is important for people. As you look forward, can this continue? Are we at a top? Those are the questions that I think investors have, and I think it's important to examine those questions because it's what do we do next, given the information that we have today. Right. We're watching all sorts of things. We're watching what the Fed's going to do right now. The, the expectation is with 92% that they'll raise rates in September. Uh, the expectations for a December rate hike are now the highest they've been at 64%. So the Fed is clearly pushing, you know, moving against this bull run. But historically, when the Fed does this and when Fed fund rate and, and inflation are basically neutral, stocks do to continue to move higher purely on economic momentum. This market has gone up on a wall of worry. We yeah. talk about that a lot, Mark. I can rattle off all of these things that we had to uh, go through to get to this point. And you talk about the EU and Brexit and oil prices and 
quantitative easing in China. In this list, that's just the beginning of the list. So the wall of worry is going to continue. And as Derek said, it has been induced by a couple of things, both fiscal and monetary policy. Yeah, you're right. You, you separate those two things and you think about the politics, and that's the wall of worry, the geopolitical stuff, everything that's gone on, Dave, in the last 10 years. But it's the politics versus the policies, and it's the policies, the monetary policy, the fiscal policy, the trade policy, the regulatory policy. Those have been the things that continue to drive the market higher. So, Derek, you know, we look at where we are as, as far as valuations and profits. Again, we're really good for this quarter, up more than 20%. So that, in and of itself, brings the price-to-earnings ratio down. Right, and the forecast for Q3 and Q4 are north of 20% as well. Um, you know, there has been some diminution of the, the rate of analyst estimate increases. And, and, of course, some will talk next year about a slowdown in year-over-year earnings growth. But right now, where we currently stand, stocks are basically cheaper now than they were at the beginning of the year because earnings have risen faster than the S&P 500 itself. And that's a really interesting point. In January, we were at our peak, but they are less expensive now because earnings have gone up, and that is a really interesting number to look at. And so when we look at where we go from here, as Mark pointed out, there is some room yet to grow. Okay, we're going to take a break, guys. Uh, 10 12 at WTMJ. It is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. The number 262 786 6363. You can call them. You can set up uh, the plan. The free portfolio analysis is fantastic. You can also do that at AnnexWealth.com. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk Addicts Wealth Management, uh, Saturday the 25th. Got to explain this Jackson Hole thing to me. It, it looks like a lot of fun, but it's serious business. Every summer, business leaders are gathered in Jackson Hole. And on Friday, uh, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, spoke and, and basically quelled the market's concern about rapidly rising interest rate. Essentially, he said that with inflation at, at subdued levels, with job growth strong but not overly hot, that the Fed is going to continue to tighten and raise rates as the economic data suggests, which essentially didn't move the forecast for future red rate hikes, but did at least lead many people to believe that he's not going to be kowtowed by any comments from the administration concerning the independence of the Federal Reserve. So it looks like uh, a rate hike in September, you said 92% chance. That's pretty much baked into the market. 64% chance in December. But I think the question, Derek, really starts to become looking forward to 2019, not only with the Fed, but certainly the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of China. You know, what is the monetary policy around the world? Because that does affect U.S. investors. It, it affects them. And not only that, because the ECB continues to remain very accommodative, as well as the Bank of Japan, that has allowed our interest rates to remain low because our debt markets actually look more attractive to an international investor than, say, they do in the ECB, where interest rates are below half a percent on many bonds. Look at the spread. You know, when you look at the gap between what the U.S. bonds are and European bonds are, you're talking 200 basis points. Well, and then you factor in the dollar strength, too, sure. right? Because, you know, because our economy is doing somewhat better, there's a desynchronization between what our central bank is doing and what overseas central banks are doing, and that is basically rewarding investors through a stronger dollar, stronger corporate profits, and interest rates that still remain somewhat positive in terms of equity risk analysis. And we took that into consideration in our investment committee, and we looked at some of the investments we had both in emerging markets and outside the United States. States, we move back a little bit to some U.S. holdings. Yeah, for example, on Wednesday, when the S&P set up a, a new high intraday, which subsequently was eclipsed on Friday, 
more than half of the stocks in the S&P 500 that made new highs were actually retailers. That's an excellent point, and a number of those earnings of those retail stocks came out. And, for example, Target and Kohl's had really blowout numbers. It wasn't just limited to those two. We saw great numbers from Williams-Sonoma, Best Buy, Nordstrom. Amazon has been consolidating recently, but certainly has been a very strong stock, up over 60% for the year. And that's really just a manifestation of consumer confidence, uh, wage growth, and the feeling that the jobs market is better than it's been in many years. So, you know, we have to give credit to locally owned Kohl's because they have been able to think outside the box, Mark. No doubt about it. And, and congratulations to those folks over there in Menominee Falls because it's a great story. But, you know, on this show, Dave, we talked maybe about six or nine months ago. We said when, when the tax cuts were coming at the end of 2017, we said when that gets absorbed into the consumer six months, nine months down the road, that's when you're really going to start to see the effect in these companies. And here we are, eight months from the tax cuts, and we're starting to see the effect in, in earnings of the retailers. Yeah, and I do remember, if you recall, at that time, many people, in fact, the majority of people did not think the tax cut would positively impact their bottom line, which was obviously incorrect and perhaps a misstatement on the part of, of some media sources. But generally speaking, Speaking, when I think about the, the, the bull market now, what we need to see now is a resurgence of capital expenditures. And we know that that was baked into the tax bill. And it takes time for companies to adjust. And to the degree that CapEx starts to accelerate, that can ultimately have a positive effect on productivity, which also leads to a stronger GDP. Now, we look at uh, the fundamentals, and they do look positive, and everything does look rosy. But there is some clouds forming. And I, th- I often say you cannot invest your politics, but politics are going to come into play in this conversation. Well, right. I mean, by a variety of measures, if you look at current valuation levels and forward levels of valuation, whether it's price to sales, price to book, price to earnings, we are at levels where forward returns, now I'm talking five to 10 years out, will be more muted. We're not going to see the same kind of returns in the next 10 years that we've seen in the prior 10, which is again why at Annex we practice what we call core and tactical investing. We look for strategic opportunities, for example, in emerging markets, and then we look for tactical opportunities and things like consumer discretionary, which we just talked about, technology, financials, and healthcare. When you look at the the political piece of it, Derek, we just went through the primaries. We're coming up on the general election here in November, and there may be some changes. There may not be some changes. Expecting volatility for the next couple of months? That's what we've been thinking. I mean, I'm frankly a little surprised the market has been as strong as it has been uh, so far in August. Typically, August and September are weak months, particularly in front of a midterm election. And then you throw in some of the headlines we got this week with some Trump administration affiliated guys, um, you know, getting indicted, pleading guilty and the like. I would have thought the market would sell off. But I think what that shows you is, just as the experience was when Clinton and Nixon had issues with impeachment, that the market looks at that in the short run. It can cause short-term dislocations, but in the long run, it's fundamentals and policy that guide stock performance, not the emotion surrounding political change. Dirk Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. You may now go hit the golf course. Dave Spano and Mark Oswald sticking around. Still more show to come. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 
Hey, it's another visit with the financial planning team. Randy Winkler, financial planning manager, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Thanks, Danny. And Jack Hauser, financial planning specialist, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you, Danny. So you take the incoming information from potential clients or current clients, and you kind of chew it up and you spit it out in a couple of different ways. Right. We do a deep analysis, take a look at uh, what are things that probably have not been considered in the past, what are things that we should be addressing, what are things that we don't need to worry about. If you're 10 years out from retirement, maybe four steps you should think about. Yes. Our 10-4 expenses, incomes, accounts and taxes, and portfolio. And Randy, let's start with expenses. Expenses are probably the least sexy, but are the most important. If you don't have an accurate expense number or have the wrong expense number, everything else flies out the window. Is it the most work to kind of dig up and find and figure out? It is very challenging. Uh, We could tell you stories how a lot of people have no idea what they're actually spending now and no idea what they're going to be spending in the future. And a lot of what we see is that people are underestimating their expense number, that they forget how expensive it is to live, and that as you're gearing towards retirement, a lot of your expenses while working are going to continue into that time, and that, that really it is pretty expensive while you're in retirement. I would hate this exercise. Well, it's not always fun to work with a client who thinks they're spending 25% of what they actually are. And I have an example from the last week I could tell you about. We had two very similar situations, two couples about the same age, about the same net worth, completely different results when we ran their financial plans. We do a stress test on every financial plan to determine how likely it is to be successful. And we run a thousand different scenarios and we take a look at There's a 99% chance of success. There's a 2% chance of success. For these two couples that I mentioned, when we ran their scenarios, the only difference was their expense number. One of them had about a 98% chance of success. The other one had 8%. The total difference there was how much they were anticipating spending in retirement. So the lower score thought they would spend more? They were spending about $25,000 a year more, and the portfolio was not sustainable. The plan just didn't work. So we're going to have to have a difficult conversation on how to make the adjustments to make that work. We're talking about 10 years out, kind of four steps that you can look at and one was the first one is expenses a lot of people look for the nest egg number they say if i have a million dollars i'm going to be fine if i have two million i'm going to be fine really a better way to look at it would be a percentage of your portfolio if you've got five hundred thousand dollars and you need twenty thousand dollars a year for to cover your expenses you're going to be fine if you have two million dollars and you need two hundred thousand dollars a year to cover your expenses it's probably not going to work jack hauser you said it run you guys run it like a thousand different ways how do you do that we have some awesome software that we use for financial planning that it will take it and use different market scenarios and run it a thousand times in the speed of like right away instantaneously and then give an output of saying, here's the likelihood of success. So expenses is the first number. Second one is incomes. While you're working, you're getting your paycheck from your employer. Once you're retired, your paycheck is going to have to come from different sources. So there's Social Security. In some cases, there's a pension. In some cases, the rental income. So we have to take all of those into account. And whatever's left over has to come from your portfolio. There's a kind of a rule of thumb that you can safely take out 4% of your portfolio on a yearly basis and never run out of money. Do some sources get tapped heavier or at different times? Definitely at different times. We want to consider tax consequences of where we're withdrawing from to fund retirement. So all of the tax benefits of saving to different accounts will also benefit us when we're in retirement that we'll be taking money from different areas to have the most efficient tax distribution plan. And that falls right into kind of the next area, which is knowing which accounts to use 
and taxes. In the 10 years before you retire, you're probably in about the highest income bracket you're ever going to be in. You're in your peak earning years. You're going to want to be deferring as much of your paycheck as possible. So use uh, tax-deferred vehicles like a 401k or an IRA. Once you get into retirement, typically you're in a lower tax bracket. At that point, you want to pay the taxes. Let's take the money out and pay it then. So if I'm in the 24% bracket now, let's defer it, pay it in the future when I'm in the 10% or 12% bracket. That also gives you some opportunities to potentially do some Roth conversions. I don't want to pay into the Roth now while I'm in the high bracket. Let's do a conversion when I'm in a low bracket in retirement. Jack Hauser, do you guys lay this out step by step for folks? We do. Again, using our financial planning software that we're looking at tax strategies the whole time throughout the distribution. And we focus on the next five years as far as tax planning. And then we'll look further down the road once we get to that. But that, but like Randy said, that there, there is a huge difference between just a 12% and 22 that even capital gains taxes come into play then of where you're getting taxed on that. So we are looking at all of that when doing planning. And the last one is it's uh, position the portfolio. As you get closer to retirement, some people think that, oh, I need to make some radical changes in my portfolio. In the old days, there was kind of a rule of thumb that you want to have subtract your age from 100, and that's the percentage of your portfolio that's in bonds or in fixed income. Those were in days when people didn't live as long as they do now, and also you could get a much higher interest rate. Now you typically are going to want to keep a portion of your portfolio in growth mode because when you retire, you're probably going to be around for another 30 years. And we do something here called a bucket strategy. If you retire at the age 65, we're planning that you're going to live at least another 25 years or so, so that you'll need short short-term money, mid-term money, and long-term money. And that all ties back into having a, a plan with purpose and intent for your dollars that we invest that mm -hmm. with different time horizons on it. And we use some awesome risk assessing software that looks at with each position within an account or within the portfolio, at what time in your retirement this money can fund those needs. And, um, and that I think that that software does a great job at laying out exactly how volatile an individual position can be or how safe it could be. When it comes time when you have to get your portfolio paycheck, how do you know where to take it from? We've already talked about the accounts, but do you take it from the investments? Do you take it from cash? We make it real simple. We put some money on the side in cash, not getting growth on it, but we're not concerned about it. It's kind of our insurance money. And then let's say January comes around and the market's up. We're going to take your paycheck out of the portfolio. Let's say in February, the market's down. We're going to take it out of cash. On a month to month and year to year basis, we're not really concerned what's going on in the market. We're taking advantage of it when it's up. When it's not, we've got our cash to deliver our paycheck without having to worry about making moves and, oh, we're up, we're down. We want people not to worry about that. This is our 10-4 discussion, 10 years out from retirement, four steps that you really should take. Randy Winkler, financial planning manager, and Jack Hauser, financial planning specialist, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for spending the time. Good to be here. Thank Bye. you. A quick reminder from Annex Wealth Management. Do you have questions about money and finances? The Financial Planning Association of Wisconsin, along with Children's Community Health Plan, invite you to Milwaukee Financial Planning Day, Thursday, August 30th. You can speak one-on-one -on -one with a certified financial planner, absolutely free of charge. This is all happening at the Marquette University's Alumni Union. Milwaukee Financial Planning Day is a free event. Learn more at fpawi.org. That is fpawi. Org. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. So Motown superstar Aretha Franklin died recently, and it turns out she did not have a will or an estate plan. That is going to be a huge headache 
for her family. It reminded us proper planning is important, and this hits home on a personal note. I've, I have a family member who is in hospice now, so I think that this topic is well time for me and probably for a lot of other people. Jill Martin is our estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Jill, welcome back. Thanks, Danny. Mandy Nowashinsky, CFP, CPA, tax planner at Annex Wealth Management. Jill, you're going to kind of run us through some steps, and one of the ones that you mentioned to me is, is that if you're a financial power of attorney, that ceases at death. How are you supposed to get business done? Because there's funeral arrangements to be paid for. There's all that stuff. Sure, Danny. It's a great question. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind. When you are a financial power of attorney, you're being given authority to act on behalf of someone while they're alive. So as soon as they die, your power ceases. But what happens is, is to be able to transact business after someone dies, we need to transition the authority over to a personal representative that's been appointed under a will or potentially a trustee of a trust that manages that individual's assets. So it's very difficult. You have to be careful to make sure you're not overstepping your bounds as that power of attorney once someone passes away. What's that process? So depending on the type of estate plan or if there wasn't an estate plan like Aretha, if it's something that's going to be administered under a will, the person that's named in that will as the personal representative or executor has to actually be appointed by the court. So they have to petition the court. Usually you retain an attorney to do that and actually go through the process to get appointed by a court so that you're given authority to basically settle someone's affairs and pay all of their final expenses and death and make distribution. Is it a hassle? Um, it can be, but it doesn't have to be. As long as you had a good estate plan that kind of had things organized, or again, if you use a trust as part of your estate plan, what happens is a trustee doesn't have to go through that court process. One of the things you suggest is you do need to take that time to grieve. You do. It's one of those things where there are very few financial situations or financial issues that arise that have to be immediately addressed after someone passes away. So take the time, plan the funeral, go through that, enjoy the time with family, have good positive reflection on the individual that passed away, and just make sure you take the time to do that. I can see a lot of potential pitfalls if somebody doesn't have that trust or doesn't have it set up properly. It can be difficult, and part of what we talk about is, is not only is it important to have that plan, and make sure, but it's important to make sure that someone knows where those documents are and they, that you can locate them after someone passes away. Mandy, have we gotten any tax stuff yet? Uh, no, you know, when somebody passes, typically everybody files, you know, a tax form, the 1040. That's their individual tax form. It's just important to remember that when somebody passes, they're their tax year stops at their date of death and you know a new tax record kind of starts and that's when we look to file a different tax form so it's always important to remember that when you're appointing either a personal representative or a trustee that first off that they're aware that they're in that position and that they know that there's gonna be extra tax filings but again nothing that needs to be dealt with right away we're talking about the steps to take when somebody dies Jill Martin our estate planning attorney is here and Mandy Nowashinsky is CFP and a CPA she's the tax planner at Annex Wealth Management let's get back to that legal count so what type of attorney is used? So generally, a lot of times people will use the same estate planning attorney that drafted the estate plan for someone. The personal representative or trustee will go back to that person as kind of the starting point because usually that planner has all of the documents, was aware of the individual's situation, but that doesn't always work. That attorney may have retired or might be out of state compared to where the personal representative is. And so then what happens is, is we just want to make sure that we're finding someone who's experienced in doing trust and estate settlement in addition to estate planning. That would be an estate planning attorney, but what if you didn't have an estate? Who would that be? So even if you don't have an estate and you're using a trust as the as the primary vehicle by which we pass assets, you're still going to want that estate planning attorney. So estate and trust is, is something we use kind of interchangeably a lot of the time, but it's still that type of an attorney that does all of that planning, both 
while you're alive and the settlement of your affairs after you've died. What are the general guidelines for a trustee or maybe a personal representative? There's a lot of things that that trustee has to do. And so that's why we recommend that a lot of times you might want to have an attorney and or a CPA that's going to help walk you through the process of what is it that you have to do as that trustee. It's like you too. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Annex has them in-house. Um, a beneficiary. So funds would be distributed. Mm-hmm. There's a tax liability for that. Right. And and that goes back to, you know, what kind of planning did they have? You know, if you have an IRA or something of that nature, it's a direct beneficiary is generally who's listed as the beneficiary on that. So if somebody passes, that asset can transfer directly to those individuals or go as in the trust. So there's a lot of things at play here and how assets can be transferred, but you've got time. You know, after somebody passes, it's not something that needs to be done immediately. That's where you meet with an attorney, your financial advisor, or a CPA. Any of those can walk you through how beneficiaries were set up. Does that count as income? Yes. There's always income at play here. Okay. You know, if you've somebody had any form of qualified assets, a lot of people, these IRAs, that's the biggest asset a lot of people have. And when those pass, somebody will eventually have to pay the tax on that. And it goes to how you have structured your estate plan not everything that you're going to inherit is going to create income for you. So if all of a sudden your mom had a CD that was payable to you and only you when you died, the value of that CD minus the interest is actually not income to you. So you get to receive that property kind of income and estate tax free, but it's any interest or dividends that are earned on that property that you might have to pay income taxes on. It sounds complicated. It It is. is. It is, and it takes a good team and we've got it. How often are you guys working on stuff like this? Actually, I've had quite a few questions from clients in the last couple of weeks, which is why we're talking about this today, Danny. And so some of what's happening is is we have clients who are in that trustee or personal representative role trying to figure out what is what is their legal requirements and responsibilities. What do they have to do? But then we also have clients that are beneficiaries kind of saying, when do I get my distribution and how does this all work? So we have a lot of conversations. And I think the biggest thing is, is be patient. After someone passes away, this is a process, as you can tell by the conversation that we're having here today. If someone passes away and you're a beneficiary, don't expect that you're suddenly going to get your inheritance in a month or even three. This is a process that has to go through, so you need to be patient in that. Mandy Nowashinsky, CFP, CPA, tax planner at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you very much Thank again. Yes. Always good to see you. And Jill Martin, estate planning attorney. Good stuff. Thank you. You're welcome. 1042 at WTMJ. Just want to remind you, we've got a couple of retirement roadmap seminars coming up. We're not going to sell you anything. These are informational. They're really popular, and we have to f- cap them just based on space. So if you want to get in on them, retirement roadmap is a wonderful thing. Do not have to be a client of Annex Wealth Management either. So our first one is September 11th. That happens at the Annex Wealth Management office in Mequon, and then October 4th, in Delafield. I know these sound like it's a long way away, but here we are sitting on uh, August 25th, so September 11th in Mequon, October 4th in uh, Delafield. Complete details at AnnexWealth.com. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Time for Ask Annex. We did not come up with a music bed. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Maybe sorry. next week. There's many ways to get a hold of us. You can do that via AnnexWealth.com. We always invite people to uh, read the Annex uh, Axiom, which is the weekly newsletter. This is an interesting one. I'd like to remain with Fidelity and Vanguard ETFs as a client. Is that possible with Annex? Well, it's really interesting because I think that's a philosophical question for a lot of people because 
when you make the decision that you're going to engage a comprehensive wealth management firm or any investment firm, you've got some decisions to make. And part of that is what do you do with your existing holdings, Dave? So if she's got Vanguard and she's got Fidelity, can she bring them into her account and make them a part of her portfolio? A lot of people love Vanguard. We use Vanguard. We use Fidelity as a custodian. We use their mutual funds. It's part of the decision-making process, and whether it's qualified or non-qualified goes into that conversation as well. The short answer, though, is yes. You can move those things into the wealth management firm and not have to blow everything up. You know, you and I talk a lot about vernacular that we have in our in our business. I'm not sure that everyone understands what a custodian is and what they can yeah. do because they say, I have my money with Vanguard. The custodian can hold the Vanguard. Can you please explain that? Yeah, when you're talking about a custodian, you're talking about custody. Who has custody? Who actually safeguards your assets? There's people who believe, you know, I think in the past that a wealth management firm's got a big vault in the back and that their money's in that vault someplace. That's not the case. We use independent custodians at Annex for a reason. Part of that reason is we have the efficiencies of very large companies like TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab and Fidelity. And we use those custodians to safeguard our client assets and do the record keeping. So when we buy something or sell something in that client account, they're doing the record keeping for us. The other thing that it does, Dave, is it provides that checks and balances. It provides the ability for the client to get a statement directly from TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or for Schwab that they can compare to the statements that they get from Annex to make sure that, that everything's on the up and up, that the values match each other, that the trades match each other, that, that the money that we say is in their account is being verified by a third party. So using third party custodians is really important. So the custody is just where they're held and in there you can have mutual funds, you can have individual stocks, you can have all kinds of products, you can have shifting sands of Texas.com stock, whatever it is, it can hold it. So of course you can hold Vanguard or Fidelity, and we do that in our client accounts as well. Right, and a lot of money managers out there, if you come to them and say, here's my existing portfolio, they're going to sell everything because they're going to try to put it into the model account that they think that you belong into. So at that point in time, every decision, every investment that you've made up to that date was a bad one, apparently. So they're going to take everything and sell it out and put it into their model. Sometimes that has tax ramifications in a non-qualified account or a trust account or an individual account. Be careful of that because if somebody's not doing it strategically, looking at every position and saying, yeah, we like this fund or we use this Vanguard fund in our models, we can keep that position, or it becomes a proxy for another position. You have a, a large cap fund, for instance, that has, a, that has a low cost basis in it, and selling it is going to cause a tax ramification. We might use that fund, keep that fund, and use it in the large cap space in place of something else that we might have used. Use so, it as a proxy. Use yeah. it as a proxy. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. So to answer the question, Yes, you can bring those assets over into your portfolio and be strategic about what you sell and what you buy. All right. yes. And then the next question would be like, well, then why would I need to do that? And it's what we've demonstrated week after week on the radio show is what you gain with the relationship with Annex, the, this entire team. The wealth management process. So, so if you're listening and you have Vanguard funds and it's asset allocated, but you need the wealth management, you need estate planning, you need tax planning, you need asset allocation, you need to know if you should hold it, sell it, or buy something else. That's where the professionals come in. And so we have that all the time. People come in and say, here's a Vanguard statement or here's a Fidelity statement. We drop that into a TD Ameritrade, Schwab, or Fidelity account, and then we begin the process. And we go through one by one. Do we hold that security? Do we sell it? Do we buy it, buy something else? And then around that, we say, what's the tax planning? What's the estate planning? What's the asset allocation? 
And how do I get to retirement? When I get to retirement, what's my distribution plan? And that's a big deal. Should I coordinate that with my Social Security? That's where all the planning comes in. And that is what we do at Annex Wealth Management. Know the difference. Go to AnnexWealth.com. You'll see. Get a plan. We'll line you up with that free portfolio analysis. Also, sign up for the Axiom. That is our weekly newsletter. gets better and better every single week. We really enjoy putting that out for you. Again, that's at AnnexWealth.com. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. All right, let's talk annuities. Randy Winkler is here, financial planning manager and CFP, and Eric Strom, financial planning specialist. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Danny. Going to confuse me? We'll try not to. Eric, can you do your quick on what an annuity is? Annuities are very complicated, and they're also very common. During 2017, $203 billion worth of annuities were sold in the United States. That's billion with a B. There are several different types of annuities out there, variable annuities, fixed indexed annuities. You'll see all these different types. Uh, But one thing they all have in common is complexity. These are very complex, long-term products that require expert guidance, not just at the point of sale, but throughout the life of an annuity for a client. Because for a client to be able to wrap their brain around an annuity is really, would require almost a part-time job. As we mentioned in the past, a lot of times annuities are sold, they're not bought. So even though you may have a pretty good understanding of it at the time of purchase, a year or five year, 10 years down the road, you don't remember all the bells and whistles. And a lot of times that annuity salesman is long gone. They're very popular. They're very useful, but they're very complicated and they have been abused at times in the past. So what all do you need to do when a client comes in and has annuities? What's the inspection method? It's funny that you say that because I kind of think of my job as, you know, when I'm helping a client with annuity as almost the annuity cleaner upper because many times a client buys an annuity maybe they no longer even have a relationship with the person who sold it to them maybe the person who sold it to them even left the business entirely and many times these annuities are in set it and forget it mode we might get a new client here at annex and we actually go through a 27 point check where we are looking at fees and living benefits and death benefits and surrender periods and everything under the sun you could imagine this is pretty big stuff yes Every client that we have and every prospective client that's coming in the door, we take a look at them and say, what is it? What does it do? Is it good? Is it bad? What's our recommendation? After we've done this this 27-point check and we've run the calculations and we help the client understand where they're sitting today, first possible outcome is just turning on the income. So many clients who are new to us here at Annex, they've, they own these annuities already. We didn't sell them, but they have built up sometimes great income benefits. And so we oftentimes are encouraging people, now's the time to turn this on. Or maybe we crunch some numbers and say, hey, three years from now, exactly on this date is the best time to turn it on, and we will help them do that. We had a very interesting story that happened just in the last week. Someone received a letter from their annuity company that said, you're eligible for this income benefit, and they thought they should be getting more. So they contacted us. We took a look into it, and their benefit as of today was the number on the form from the insurance company. If they wait till their birthday, which is just in a couple of months, they would get a very significant raise. So by doing just a little bit of a deep dive, knowing the questions to ask, we were able to give them a raise. Randy Winkler is here. So is Eric Strom. We're talking about annuity analysis at Annex, something that we do for our clients. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing? 
just completely surrendering the annuity and, and walking away from the contract entirely. Sometimes maybe the client has been paying for an income benefit that they no longer need. They might be paying in many cases thousands of dollars a year for an income benefit that they come to us and they say, you know what, I don't really need this anymore. Maybe at the time it made sense, but now given my current situation, I don't need this anymore. So sometimes just completely leaving the high cost annuity world can be the right move. There's also circumstances where you probably want to stay in an annuity, but not necessarily the one that they're currently in. If you've built up a big tax situation, if you get out of the annuity, um, they'd have a very big tax bill. The third outcome is where the client has built up a lot of gains in their annuity, but the annuity is what's called non-qualified, which means it's not in an IRA. In that case, the client is going to have a big tax ouchie if they decide to walk away from their annuity. Annex actually uses a very low-cost, stripped-down, non-commission-based product for these rare situations where a client really has no choice but to stay in the world of annuities, but they don't want to be paying these very, very high fees anymore. And we had a great story about that, too, in the past week. Yeah, I met with a client just last week. They had pretty significant assets in two different annuities, which were costing them a fortune in fees. We were able to save the family over $20,000 a year in annual fees by consolidating these two expensive annuities into our low-cost, uh, non-commissioned annuity that Annex uses. The annuity that Eric's referring to is not an Annex product, so there's no such thing as an Annex annuity. We don't make stuff. We don't. No. We just utilize the best of what's out there to help our clients and our prospective clients. It's possible to repurpose an old, unneeded annuity to help pay for long-term care. A couple last things that could happen is sometimes annuities have large death benefits. We will help the client strategize in order to retain the largest possible death benefit in their annuity. The last example is sometimes a client is in just the right annuity already as an investment. It might be a low-cost annuity like the one that we are occasionally using. It might be stripped down and it might have great returns because there are good investment options. So in that case, it might be just right to stay in the current product as an investment itself and not as an income source. So if you're a client, uh, just know that this team is looking over your annuities and making sure that they're uh, doing everything the way they should be. And if you're interested in becoming a client, uh, we certainly can do that as well. That's what we do in the financial planning department. Yes, we do. Absolutely. You see, I said we. I almost included myself. I just want to be you we'll guys. Take you. Randy Winkler, financial planning manager and CFP here at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. And Eric Strom, thank you for joining us today. Thanks. All right, that's it for the show. AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference. It's Team Technology Trust. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.